Thanks for checking out Free Chapel Young Adults. We're so excited to share this conversation with you from our last Third Wednesday gathering. We'd love to help you get more connected at FCYA here in Orange County. For more info, just follow us on Instagram or text FCOCYA to 510-510. We hope you enjoyed this episode, but be sure to join us next month for FCYA Third Wednesday. We'll see you soon. All right, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Third Wednesday. Great to have you all here, whether you're in person, listening back on our podcast. Uh, just great to have everyone a part of tonight. These are always my favorite nights of the month because uh, I think always what happens here is such a significant conversation. So tonight we're going to be continuing um, online with kind of the theme that we've been running with this season called For Your Health, and it comes from uh, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus um, was approached by a group of people essentially asking, what do you want from us? And um, if you've ever had that question yourself wondering, what does God want from me? Luckily, Jesus himself answers this question, and he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so this season, really the last couple of months that we've had, we've been unpacking that word by word. What does it look like to love God with our heart, with our soul? And tonight we're going to dive into this conversation on what it looks like to love God with our mind. I'm really excited um, because I'm joined with Kayla Steckling, who is uh, here to share her story. And it's a conversation I've been looking forward to for a long time. Kayla is an author and a speaker, a mental health advocate. Um, she has written an, an incredible book called Fear Gone Wild, which I would recommend to all of you. And I was here to share her story, who her husband, Andrew, in um, 2018, had died by suicide um, leading a church. And so her story is one of hope. It's one of inspiration, um, really walking through mental health and faith together. I think it's a significant conversation, but Kayla, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to yeah. be here. So cool. Well, um, maybe just by way of introduction, I know in part of your story is um, the way you tell it is redemptive, and you don't want to just be remembered by the way that Andrew died, but really in the way that he lived. I'm wondering if you could just maybe share with us a little bit of how you guys met and your life together leading in ministry. Yeah. So we met at Vanguard University. Anybody go to Vanguard in the room? And yeah. A couple? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. So we met in 2008 at Vanguard. I was a sophomore. He was a junior. He lived in the beach house, which is kind of like known throughout our campus. I don't know if there's still like the beach house guys, but he was like one of the beach house guys. They lived in this grungy, nasty beach house, but right on the sand at Tower 52 in Newport Beach, there was like sand embedded in the carpet. The carpet was always wet. They had blown up one of the toilets, like their beds were on pallets, like it was disgusting, but it was amazing. They loved it. They all surfed. So we lived in this beach house. One of my best friends um, was dating one of the beach house guys, and one night she was over there, and Andrew was there, and he was asking her about her friends, kind of on the prowl, looking for the next girl, that ring by spring. So she showed him a picture of all of her friends, and he looked at me and said, tell me more about her. He pointed at me in the picture. So she came back to the dorms and she told me about this guy that had picked me out of a picture and showed me a picture. She showed me his Facebook profile picture. It was before Instagram. There was yeah. no, I'm so old. I was just telling him like it was 10 years ago that I graduated college. So there was no Instagram. It was his Facebook profile picture. He was sitting on a fixed gear bike. It was when fixed gear bikes were super cool yeah. and he was flexing his muscles and showing off his tattoos and he was so hot. So I'm like, yes, tell me more about this guy. 
guy that picked me out of a picture. So I went over to the beach house and I met him and it was a fast fall into love. We went on a date the next week. We were kissing in the rain after Coldplay concert by our third date. It was when Coldplay was cool. I don't think it's cool anymore, but it was like when it was cool too. It's like Coldplay, fixed gear bikes, a couple there, Facebook. Yeah. Here's a TikTok about that, huh? Yeah, yeah. Middle part. I got my middle part, though. Middle part's cool. Um, so, so, yeah. So, fast fall into love. I got the ring by spring. And he, we got married in 2010 and jumped right into ministry. That's so cool. And yeah. I, I love that. I love that you shared that because I've heard you share a little bit of that story before. And it's so cool. It's like love at first sight. It's yeah. the story we all wish we had, right? Like, anybody with me on that? <laughs> really beautiful. Um so maybe looking back, reflecting um, on the last kind of three years that you've sort of navigated, can you maybe fill us in as you've been reflecting on kind of what led to um, his death and yeah. sort of the, the process there? Yeah, so we lived a lot of life um, in our short time together. We were married in 2010, and uh, less than a year into our marriage, his dad, who was the lead pastor of our church, um, he had started the church when Andrew was three years old. It was Inland Hills Church in Chino, where the cows in the prison are, um, inland about an hour from here. And his dad had started the church when he was three, and he had grown it into this big, beautiful, thriving, amazing church. And he, his parents were leading it. And so about a year into our marriage, um, his dad was diagnosed with leukemia. So that was like the first big rattle. Like, I cannot believe this is happening. And so we were kind of um, on the fast track. Andrew went from being just the creative guy to really co-leading the church with his dad. We have pictures of him and his dad sitting side by side at Cedar sinai Hospital in LA with their laptops open, leading the church. His dad was recording messages from the hospital hospital room. Like it was a really wild four-year journey um, with leukemia. And just a few months before his dad passed away in 2015, Andrew was handed the official baton of leadership and became the lead pastor of our church at 26 years old. And we had two little boys at the time and one on the way. And so our home life was busy. Our ministry life was busy. We were young. We had no idea what we were signing up for. I mean, Andrew knew a little bit because he had grown up in it, but I had no idea what I was signing up for. And um, it was a wild, just a wild journey. Leading a church is not easy. I mean, ministry is not easy. It's wonderful and beautiful and amazing and also really hard. And so Andrew did an incredible job. He led through the loss of his dad. He only took two weeks off work and came back and preached an incredible series on heaven. I mean, he really was this like invincible, strong, amazing guy. Um, It felt like nothing could get in the way. Nothing could stop him from living out his calling. And then in the fall of 2017, life seemed to have caught up with him. And he started experiencing very debilitating panic attacks. And these panic attacks were happening two to three times a week. And they were really scary. I mean, they would come on mostly at night when he was trying to fall asleep. And it was like this full body experience. If you've ever witnessed a panic attack or had a panic attack, then you know it's like this full body fear. Like fear would just take over over his body from his head to his toes and there would be nothing I could do to help and really nothing he could do to help himself. I kind of just had to wait him out. 
And so he suffered with those um, from about October to April. He was having these very debilitating panic attacks. And we were trying to get to the bottom of it. We were trying to figure out, like, where are these coming from? What is happening? Is it a thyroid issue? Like, what is going on? We didn't think mental health. Like, I, we really were not thinking depression. We were not thinking it was a mental health thing. We really thought it was, like, a physical, um, like, thyroid thing. And so um, in April, he had another big, massive panic attack that landed him in the hospital. And it was then that we decided, like, okay, enough is enough. Um, He's been leading through this. He's been showing up to speak through this. There was a Sunday where he was in the bathroom, on the bathroom floor. A security guard found him in a massive panic attack just minutes before he was supposed to be on stage to preach, uh, the first of, like, seven Easter services. And he somehow ended up on stage and gave all seven of those services and I'll never forget he was on stage speaking I was in the green room crying like it was just such a gnarly season yeah, sure. and so um, we put him on the sabbatical we decided you know like he we don't know what's going on we don't know why he's having these panic attacks we don't know where they're coming from but we know we can't live like this anymore mm-hmm. so we put him on the sabbatical and just a few weeks later he was diagnosed with depression And I'll never forget that day sitting in the psychiatrist's office. And the psychiatrist turned and looked at me and said, your husband has depression. And I was so shocked. I mean, I really didn't see it coming. I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, and I still, like, didn't see it coming. I was just so close to it and couldn't see it. And so we started this journey with depression. And Mm. every day was different. Every day I didn't know what version of my husband I was going to get coming out of the bedroom in the morning. I didn't know if he was going to be happy or sad or full of anxiety or angry, like ever, if he would just sleep all day or if he would be present with us and want to hang out with the kids. And I was torn between being caretaker for my husband and mom to my three kids who were home for the summer. It was just such a nutty time. Um, But we were doing everything we knew to do to get him better. He was seeing a psychiatrist every other week. He was taking medication. We were seeing a therapist together for two hours every single week. And he was going on solo trips to spend time with God. He went and spent time with mentors. We did a two-week road trip, just the two of us. Like, you name it. We tried it. We were doing everything we knew to do to get him help. Um, And by the end of that summer, 2018, he was released to go back to work. Um, The doctors thought that too much time away from work could actually make his depression worse. And so they released him to go back to work and he was ready and he was excited. It was August of 2018. He was pumped to share what he had been learning about mental health. He was talking about mental health. He talked about depression. He talked about suicide. He gave out the suicide hotline number. Um, If anyone would have known where to go for help. I mean, he would have known where to go. And then headed into the third weekend, he had a really awful day at the office. Like all of us that have a job, sometimes there's just really bad days at the office. And his mind was still broken. He had told our family and told our staff he was at about 65% when he went back to work. So he was hoping to ease back into ministry, which is really hard to do. To ease back into ministry is kind of impossible. Um, But he was hoping to ease back into ministry over time and slowly work his way back to 100%. Um, But he wasn't fully well. His mind was still broken. His day was bad enough where we knew, like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
this guy is not okay. Maybe he needs more time off. Maybe he needs more help. Um, and so while we were away from him for just a little bit, making those phone calls, trying to get the next step of help for him, trying to plan a different speaker for Sunday so he wouldn't have to do it. We were trying to check all our boxes and then go to him and tell him this is our plan. And while we were away um, from him for like 20 minutes doing that, he attempted suicide. And it was an absolute blindside. Like even saying that to you today, I mean, it's still just as shocking today yeah. as it was that day um, three years ago. And he was rushed to the hospital and they ran a bunch of tests and unfortunately there wasn't anything that they could do. And so God gave us the gift of one last day, which really truly is a gift when um, somebody attempts suicide. We had one last day to hold him and to pray with him and to beg God for a miracle and to play his favorite worship songs and just to be with him and to say goodbye. Um, and then on August 25th, 2018, he took his last breath, and with that, I took my first in this life that I never saw coming as a widow at 29 years old with three little boys who were two, four, and five years old. Wow. Wow. And I just want to say, you know, I've heard you share your story before, but every time, um, you know, I'm really sorry that that happened. I'm sorry to hear that. I know you've heard that before, but um, part of, I think, what I, I'm curious about is your story— um, you know, I was, I was preparing a little bit for this conversation and you read statistics that are really, you know, they're alarming and it, you know, it's, it's your story, but it's also a story that's not uncommon. I know that there's just in the last, this was 2018, but just in the last um, year alone, there's depression and anxiety that's on the rise up to about 80% of people would say that they've, you know, battled with this and they've had, um, you know, experience with whether themselves struggling with mental illness or touched by somebody and, um, you know, that, that may experience that. And I think for you, I'm, I'm curious to know maybe how you've processed yeah. um, with, you know, in light of this, you know, really traumatic and painful experience in life, but still holding your faith um, so close because it's a, it really is a moment where it, so many of us can get thrown off course towards a callousness towards God, a callousness towards life, um, really just kind of feeling like apathetic or, or where is God in all this and some of those questions really wrestling with. And so maybe, can you walk us through just sort of your journey in processing that alongside faith? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was such a wild, starking um, difference. I mean, that summer when he was sick, I was begging God for a miracle. I was begging God for breakthrough. I'll never forget, we went to his favorite little lifeguard tower, Tower 52, right in front of that grungy beach house. We went there that summer and we sat in front of the lifeguard tower and we were begging God for a miracle. I was begging God to heal him from his depression. Andrew was begging God to heal him from his depression and take away his anxiety and take away the panic attacks. And it felt like God was silent. Um, it felt like, where are you, God? Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you fixing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? His dad just died a couple of years ago, and now we're going through this. Like, where are you, God? And why are you allowing this to happen? And then, you know, I thought the worst of it was over when he was in the hospital and he was sent on the sabbatical. And I thought, you know, we were, were on the up and up from here. And then the suicide happens. And I'm like, again, like, where are you, God? Why have you allowed this to be filtered through your hands? Like, what is happening? And really, truly, God was everywhere. It went from like, where are you, God, in this wilderness of mental illness that summer to like literally, tangibly, God was 
everywhere, mm-hmm. all of the time and everything. Um, some of my closest, my best friends told me that they had seen the hand of God more in my grief and my pain than they had seen his hand in their entire life. Like just the evidence of God was so clear in little tiny ways and really big, massive ways. One of the coolest, I'll share a little story. One of the coolest ways that God showed up right away um, was when I told my boys I waited a week to tell them um, because I just needed to, I was so in shock and just needed to process what had happened and talk to some really smart people and figure out how I was going to break the news to them. And so I waited a week and actually cleared out our house too because I couldn't handle all of his stuff in our house. And I wanted the information I was sharing with my boys to match the environment. I didn't want them to come home and see dad's truck in the driveway and his shoes in the garage and his clothes in the closet and for them to think he was coming back. And so I cleaned all this stuff out and they came back home. My dad brought them home and sat them on the couch and I gave them each a fruit snack. And I told them, you know, um, you know how daddy's been sick and he's been going to the doctor a lot and he's been resting a lot. Well, daddy did something that caused him to die and, and daddy died and he's not here anymore. And the child life specialist had kind of like forewarned us, like some of them might want to go outside and play. Some of them might be emotional. Like you just know that It's going to show up in lots of different ways, their grief. And so my oldest son um, went straight to the kitchen to throw away his, he wanted to go throw away his fruit snack wrapper. Like he just wanted to get out of the situation. So he walked into the kitchen, he tossed his fruit snack wrapper in the trash, and then he just fell into my arms and was just bawling. Wow. And we went and sat at the dining room table, just me and him, and we were coloring in this little coloring book that someone had gifted us, and it was called When Someone I Love Dies. And we're coloring in this coloring book, and the very um, first page of the coloring book is explaining grief and death um, with the images of a caterpillar, the life stages of a caterpillar. So there was an egg and a caterpillar and a cocoon and a butterfly, and we were coloring it, and we were talking about death and talking about his dad. And then it was time for the boys to take a nap. So we put away the coloring book. We go over to close the curtains in the living room. And right where I put my hand to close the curtain, there was a little tiny caterpillar. And I grabbed wow. it. I don't like bugs. And I grabbed that little <laughs> caterpillar and wow. I ran over to my son Smith. And I'm like, look, it's a caterpillar. We were just talking about caterpillars and coloring the caterpillars. And look, it's a caterpillar. And without skipping a beat, he said, it's a miracle from God. So God gave us wow. miracles and little tiny caterpillars that my son could understand and big, massive miracles. Like we didn't get life insurance because it was a suicide, but people gave money through GoFundMe and my kids got free education. Like, big, huge um, miracles and little, tiny, small miracles. So God's been so kind to us. And so it's just been so evident um, that He's been with us and that He's been for us. And that even though this really hard, awful, horrific thing happened, and I really don't believe that it was plan A for Andrew's life, that Mm. God had for Andrew's life, even though this really awful, horrible thing happened, um, God has used it for good. And He has been with us, and I have seen His hand, and He has been so so kind to us, to me and my boys. And he, you know, I saw right away too um, that he was going to use this for good. I mean, it was right away I started sharing our story. It was really important for me um, that Andrew's 
Andrew's life or Andrew, yeah, Andrew's life was defined by the way he lived, not the way he died. And so it was important for me to speak and to share right away. And and through sharing and blogging and writing, I was getting flooded with handwritten letters and emails and Instagram messages from people who were saying things like, Your public grief has saved my life. Wow. I was thinking about pulling the trigger and I decided to pick up the phone and call the suicide hotline instead. Mm-hmm. I had a mom stop me at the at the boys' school when I was dropping off my kids and told me her husband read a blog that I had written and checked himself into rehab the next day. Like wow. it was just so cool to see um, what God was doing. Not only was he showing himself in little tiny ways like a caterpillar, but he was also showing himself in huge ways and squeezing every ounce of good he could out of this horrific tragedy. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, even he, to hear you say that, there's like, you, you talk about a, a situation that's so painful, but say, I know that God was using it for good. It's, it really is amazing to, to hear. And it's not just encouraging, I think, to us, but it's also challenging a little bit because we all have moments where we could be affected. And I don't think, you know, unless you walk through a similar story, none of us know what that's like, but we all in some ways are touched by grief and um, have these questions where, why, and how could God let this go on? And, but I've seen it to be the case pastoring people, you know, through a number of years where God's grace is the source of their greatest strength. And little moments like that that you can hold on to is something that may seem small, but it really are so precious. Um, can you let us in maybe on, um, you know, one of the things as a pastor's wife and, um, you know, kind of like um, ministry, I think I've heard you describe it as a glass house. You know, there's really, I think it's hard to be vulnerable and it's hard to have that space. Um, can you maybe let us in on, um, yeah, just I think like the the journey that you've been on of asking, you know, like um, where, where you begin to have, um, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, you know, when you, when you have a moment where you um, kind of go and you feel all the pain and you feel, you know, you're having to share with your kids, but then have this moment where you say, I'm still holding on to God's promises. Um, have, has it been easier to, to have that? Or can you maybe share on how grief is something that you continue to carry? Yeah, we were talking about it um, in the green room just a little bit ago. And it's, it is, you know, I never understood grief and I never understood loss until I experienced it. It's just one of those things that you can never fully grasp unless you've lived it. And we had lost my father-in-law and I thought I knew, you know, what what loss was and what grief was, but I had no idea. And so... Yes, God was so good, and yes, God was so kind, but I um, was in the deepest pain that I've ever been in in my entire life, the kind of pain that pushed me to the edge of myself as well. Hmm. I mean, there were days where I didn't know if I could live with this pain for another day, like the thought of having to get up again the next day and pick up this cup of suffering again and live with this pain again was overwhelming, and I didn't know if I could do it. And so it's been a constant um, reaching out to God. It's been a constant, like, God, I can't do this. I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. Like, help me, God. Give me supernatural strength. Give me Mm. supernatural peace. You're going to have to show me how to learn how to live with this pain. And that's what it's been. It's learning how to live with the pain. That pain never goes away. I will carry the pain of Andrew's death with me for the rest of my life. And it will be just 
just as raw, just as sharp, just as painful as it was that very first moment when I found out that he had attempted suicide. It'll be just as raw, just as sharp, just as painful 50 years from now as it was in that moment. And that's something that I didn't understand Mm -hmm. before. I thought that loss was something that you move on from. Like, oh, this hard thing happens and you just move on. Like, you just got to pick yourself up from your bootstraps and just move on. And you don't. Like, you just don't. Um, It's something that moves forward with you. It's something that you carry with you. Um, I've I've heard it described. We were talking about this in the green room as well. I've heard it described. There's this beautiful book um, by the author Jerry Sitzer, and it's a beautiful book on grief. If you've ever lost somebody or know somebody that's lost somebody, it's called A Grace Disguised. And in the book, he um, he went through horrific loss, really bad car accident. His wife died, his mom died, and one of his kids died. Maybe two of his kids died. I can't remember. One or two of his kids passed away in the accident as well. And so he wrote this book um, from his experience with loss and grief and pain, and it's a beautiful book. And in the book, he was talking about um, this, this, how you move forward from your pain, and it's not something that you leave behind. And he described it as having this big, beautiful tree in your garden. And it's like someone walks up and chops the tree down, and you're left with this ugly stump. And you can, you can look out the window and you can stare at that ugly stump for a long time, but eventually you can choose to start planting flowers around the stump. And so the stump will always be there, but you can choose to build a beautiful life around the pain. You can choose to build a beautiful landscape around the pain. And so I'll carry the pain of Andrew's death with me for the rest of my life. But that doesn't mean that my life um, isn't going to be beautiful. It doesn't mean that my life isn't going to be good. good. It doesn't mean that there isn't hope. Um, My life can still be beautiful. It's just going to be a completely different beautiful than it was before. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of, um, you know, Psalm 34. It says, God is near to the brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. And there are moments where even in our pains that we feel like God's presence is near. And I think just hearing your story, hearing you share that, that in the moment of that, God's presence is near. Um, one of the things that we've kind of been centering around this series is just how to be healthy as your whole self and how what God asked from us is, is uh, this position of health in all of who we are, our you know, mental health, our spiritual health. And I've kind of lived with the conviction that our mental health is just as important as our spiritual health. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on maybe how you think we can love God with our mind and what Jesus was talking about when he says, I want you to love God with your mind. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, in my experience and trying, I was trying to figure out how to answer that question. It's a new, it's a new question. I haven't answered that question yet in an interview. And as I was sitting with it and thinking about it, um, I think for me, the biggest way that my mind gets attacked, um, especially in this season of life, is with lies, Um, with lies that I um, think about myself, with lies that I think about my circumstance. Um, I'm not good enough. This is never going to get better. I don't have enough energy. I'm worthless. My life is meaningless. There's no hope. Like all those lies that all of us get flooded with every single day. We all get flooded with those lies every single day. And so when I think about honoring God with our mind, um, I think about those lies and I think about, okay, how can we... um, 
welcome those lies and embrace those lies and then also let them go and learn to let them go and learn to speak truth into those lies yeah. and learn to not not to listen to those lies. And so one of the things that's been so helpful for me, um, there's certain times in the day when the lies come for me. And for me, it's at the end of the day after I put my kids to bed and I walk out to the living room and it is an utter disaster. There's like spaghetti all over the table. There's just clothes. It's like they yeah. walk in from the door from school and just like left a trail. I can see where they went in the house. There's like a backpack, their right. shoes, their socks, there's pants, yeah. you know, it's like just a disaster. And in those moments, I just want to throw my hands in the air and say, I give up. I can't do this. This is too hard. This is too much. I can't believe God, you gave me these three boys to take care of by myself. Why did you let me have three kids? Like all these lies start come like rushing into my mind. And so in that moment, I have a choice to make. It's like I can choose to like sit with those lies and be totally sad and totally overwhelmed and like mm. totally shut down by all of these lies, or I can choose to speak the truth. And so um, lately, recently, I've been putting on my Google Home, I've been blasting worship music. And so they'll go to bed, I'll come out, I'll put on worship music, and it really helps me, like just speaks truth into those lies. It speaks truth into my home. It brings peace into my home. And so I put on the worship music, and then I get to work, and I clean up the mess, and it's like 15, 20 minutes. It's not even a lot of time, you know, but it feels so overwhelming hmm. in the moment. And so I think when those lies come, um, just to be aware that they're lies, yeah. that they're not truth, um, that it's not true, that your right. life isn't meaningless, that your life isn't worthless, um, that there is hope, that there is meaning, that there is purpose, that God is for you, that He is with you, and just to find um, creative ways to combat those lies. I think the way that the enemy gets to us the most is through those lies. And so any way that we can combat those, whether it's blasting worship music mm. in your house, or maybe you have a roommate, so it's ear pods and blasting worship music, or maybe it's um, going outside and going for a walk. Maybe your lies come at lunchtime in the middle of the day while you're at work, and it's just like, I just need to go outside and go for a prayer walk around my building. Um, or maybe it's picking up the phone and calling a friend and speaking the lies out loud, saying, hey, I'm having a really hard day and I'm like believing these things about myself and speaking them out loud so that they lose their power. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just being aware and not shaming ourselves for those lies. You know, I think that's also a way the it's enemy really can get after us is with shame. Like I'm not shaming myself for thinking those things or feeling those things or maybe even saying those things in the moment. Like, ah, I can't believe this. Hmm. Um, but not shaming ourselves, welcoming those feelings, welcoming those thoughts, welcoming those emotions, and learning to let them go and to not carry them with us and to not hold them over our head, but learning to let them go and live with open hands. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think there's a lot of freedom in what you're saying because we all have thoughts like that, but it's so easy. I've you know just learned to kind of self-sabotage and one lie becomes, well, why am I thinking that lie? And that must mean this. And you kind of ends up on a trail that gets away from you. And, um, you know, I think one of the things I've just said before is you don't have to believe everything you think. And um, I think there's a lot of power in that to recognize, okay, I'm feeling maybe confusion or bewilderment or sadness, and I'm, it's okay for me to feel this, yeah. but what do I do with this, this, this feeling is the most important thing. Yeah. And to replace that with truth. Um, you know, there, Paul says that we, the, the, the power of our mind is that we demolish every stronghold the enemy sets up against us. And a stronghold is, in military terms, a place where we can run to for safety and for refuge, but if we're not careful, it can become a trap. 
And I've, you know, I think it's some of the way that the enemy is so deceptive in the lies that he will tell us is they seem so comfortable and they seem so safe, but really it can very easily become a trap. And even something as small as insecurity and something can run off to a destination into shame and guilt and anxiety and worry and just a place where, you know, we, we call our thoughts runaway trains for a reason. And, um, you know, I, I just think there's power in recognizing, okay, I feel this, but I don't have to believe this. I think this, but this isn't true. When the enemy speaks to me, he's only lying. He can't, he can't speak truth. Um, one of the lies I think just has, um, you know, I'm sure that you've journeyed through this, but there's a lot of stigma around um, mental health. There's a lot of stigma around suicide. Um, can you maybe cue us in on where we've gotten it wrong? And as the community of faith and as the church, um, what are some things that maybe haven't helped? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's two big major myths about suicide um, that maybe you hold. They're myths that I held before Andrew died by suicide, and those are that suicide is selfish and that suicide is an unforgivable sin. Um, I'll never forget the one and only time that Andrew mentioned suicide. It was after the boys had gone to bed. We were sitting at the kitchen counter. I was overwhelmed. I was like venting. I was venting my own stress and my own just being overwhelmed as a mom that felt like a single mom that summer. And Andrew was venting back to me, and he was telling me that he was up in the middle of the night, the night before, and he had his staff organization chart spread all over the counter, and he thought about killing himself. And in that moment, I reacted. I mean, I was exhausted. I'm telling him I'm exhausted, and then it feels like he's telling me he's going to leave me. And so I reacted out of my own emotion and my own pain. And I said, Andrew, that is the most selfish thing you could ever do. I can't believe you said that. You would never do that. Like totally just like attacked him. I said all the things you're not supposed to say when someone tells you that. And he told me that. He said, Kayla, you need to do some research and come up with something better to say. That is not what you say to someone that is struggling with suicidal thoughts. And he's right. It's not what you say. And I've learned now um, that it's so important to use our words wisely and choose our words wisely when someone tells us that they're having suicidal thoughts. Hmm. When a friend or a loved one or a parent or a sibling tells you, I'm thinking about suicide or I'm having suicidal thoughts or I'm fantasizing about suicide, it is time to lean in. It is time to shut up. It is time to talk less. It is time to lean in. It's time to ask questions. Questions like, do you have a suicide plan? What problem are you trying to solve Mm. through suicide? How often do you think about it? Have you researched it? Do you know how you would do it? Like asking questions. Questions are so powerful. Questions can change the game. Questions can lead to solutions they have never thought about before. And it's also time to take it seriously. Like any thoughts of suicide, any talk of suicide has to be taken seriously. I wish in that moment I would have picked up my phone and called the suicide hotline number or text the crisis text line and say, hey, my husband said this to me. What do I do? I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell our counselor. I didn't tell our, our his psychiatrist. I didn't tell our family. I didn't tell anybody because I really truly believed it would never happen. And then it did. 
And so I've just learned, you know, since he passed away to even choose my words wisely surrounding suicide. I don't say committed suicide. I say died by suicide. And I really, truly believe that's what happened. Um, I describe Andrew's death like a child drowning in a swimming pool at a birthday party. Like he was surrounded by people that loved him and we just had no idea he was drowning. And if we knew he was drowning, we would have thrown him a life reserve. We would have jumped in the water and rescued him. Like we had no idea he was drowning. And I've also heard suicide described as being trapped in a burning building. And the only way to escape the flames is to jump out of the window. And so I really truly believe that Andrew didn't want to die. He just wanted his pain to end. He was so overwhelmed. And now that I've experienced grief and experienced my own pain and know what that feels like, I get it. It's like I can empathize with Andrew in such a deep way. And so I don't say committed suicide anymore. I say died by suicide. And those words clearly send the message that the death was the result of an underlying physical condition, not a decision. And it takes that shame and that burden and that weight off of Andrew. Yeah. And so it's not selfish. Suicide isn't selfish. Um, and that's really helped me a lot to see it through a different lens. And then the other big myth um, is that suicide is the unforgivable sin. Hmm. And I'll never forget being in the hospital and my mother-in-law is on one side of the bed and I'm on the other side of the bed. And I leaned over Andrew and I asked my mother-in-law through tears, will he go to heaven? I had picked up somewhere along the way that suicide was a straight ticket to hell. Mm. And she reassured me um, right there in that moment that no, Andrew's salvation doesn't hinge on the way he died. It hinges on his relationship with Jesus. And so, yes, Andrew's in eternity. Yes, Andrew's in heaven. And suicide doesn't separate him from that. And so that's been really important to me um, to share. And I think that is a big stigma that is yeah. still in the church. I mean, there were so many people that were commenting, that were sending letters, Gosh. that were nasty, that were saying, I can't believe you're saying he's in heaven. There's no way. And so it's been really important to me to debunk that myth too. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. And thank you for continuing to speak up because I think it's something, you know, mental health is. Um, it's it's oftentimes hard for us to know because it's not something that you, it's not like you break your leg and everyone can yeah. see you have a cast on. It's something that really goes undetected unless you know, you're willing to speak up and be open with the people in your life. And so many, I know many people even here tonight may be journeying through um, you know, mental illness or journeying through these thoughts and feelings, um, but on the inside feel like nobody knows. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to share that because... Um, Obviously, there's there's a lot behind that, but also like it's not a sin to be sick. Yeah. And I think that there is, you know, that's one of the really big misconceptions. And I can't even imagine your story. That's almost a grief of its own to try and navigate through all the misunderstanding and the yeah. feelings of where people have just kind of gotten it wrong. And I think as a church and specifically as a young adult community, um, you know, I, I heard just something recently that. The, the, the second leading cause of death among people from 11 to 30 is suicide. Yep. It, it actually is the second largest, it's another pandemic that we're in that, that we all should be, I think, equipped for this. And I think many times people either are, um, you know, sort of hold back because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing yeah. or um, they really don't know what to say at all. And so it's kind of a, a difficult space to navigate. Yeah. Um, I'm curious from your story and and maybe some things that you've learned along the way, how we can better support people in our community that may feel this struggle. Yeah, I think um, vulnerability. You know, I think um, 
going first and being vulnerable in your small group with your close circle of friends. Um, I think raising your hand and saying that you're struggling with stuff too and being willing to go first and being willing to show people that that um, inner place of your heart that you don't show people very often, but be willing to talk about the things that you're afraid of or talk about the your That's struggles powerful. or talk about your pain. Um, I think so often we want to put up this facade and this filter. You know, we're in the age of filters. We want to put up this filter and say, I, I'm pretty and I got it together and I got my career and look at my cute house and I got it all decorated for Christmas. Like, I, I'm good. Like, everything's good. Um, but to be willing to be vulnerable, to be willing to show our shadow side, to be willing to show our dark side. And I think so often um, when we're willing to go first, other people are willing to open up and share too. And then I think also just like I mentioned before, like just leaning in. If someone tells you that they're struggling, if someone tells you they're struggling with depression or anxiety or suicide or their mental health or whatever it is, um, that you lean in, that you ask questions. Like it's not time to share your own personal story of your second cousin that struggled with depression. You know, it's like time to lean in and listen. It's time to ask questions. It's time to sit with them. It's time to offer to go with them. Say, hey, let's let's call that therapist. I'll, I'll call for you. How about I call for you and make yeah. the appointment for you? I'll go with you. I'll sit there and I'll be quiet and I'll just go. If you need a friend to go with you, I'll go with you. I'll go with you to the psychiatrist. I'll go with you to the therapist. I'll call the suicide hotline with you. Like being with you, those words with you are so powerful. I've said that so many times um, through my journey to other widows, to other people that have lost someone to suicide. I just say with you. Hmm. Um, And it's so powerful to know that you are not alone. And so when your friends are struggling, just say, hey, I'm with you and I'm for you. And how can I serve you? How can I crawl into that dark place of pain that you're sitting with and share the burden with you? When I think about Jesus and how he would respond Mm -hmm. to mental illness, I don't see him quoting scripture or shaming us for our feelings. I just see him sitting right beside us. And he's patient with us. And he's and he's not saying much, but he's just there and he's with us and he's for us and he doesn't leave us. And so I think we can do that for each other as well. We can be patient yeah. with each other. We can show up for each other. And I know it's hard when someone's yeah. struggling with depression, when someone's struggling with their mental health, it can be really hard to be their friend. It can be really hard to be their wife. It can be really hard to be their boyfriend or girlfriend or family member. I mean, mm. it is a really ugly thing. And they oftentimes become a completely different person. And so I think also caring for your own mental health. I think taking time to fill up your cup and fill up your tanks that you can keep pouring out from a healthy place. That summer when Andrew was sick, I didn't take enough time for myself. And Mm -hmm. so when he's trying to tell me that he's thinking about suicide, I couldn't um, respond from a heart of love. I just reacted out of my own exhaustion and emotion. But I wish I would have set aside time to go meet with a therapist one-on-one by myself without my spouse. Um, I wish I would have set aside time to get away by myself and go spend time with God by myself. Um, I wish I would have set aside time to go be with friends and be in community. I wish I would have kept going to church. You know, he stopped going, he stopped speaking, and so I stopped going and the kids stopped going too. I just think it's so important if we're going to care for somebody that's struggling with their mental health for us to care for our own mental health as well so that we can fully show up and be present and be able to pour out from a healthy place. 
Yeah, I think it's great. And I love that it seems like to me this the conversation is just beginning to change around therapy yeah. and counseling and really how important that is. Because I think one of the stigmas is that, um, you know, mental health is exclusively spiritual warfare. Yeah. And I think that that certainly can be part of it. But it's there's also no you know if we were to if someone were to break their leg no one would get on them about going to a doctor and having that leg reset and the same thing same thing is true with counseling with therapy I think it's so needed I think one of the things I had just heard you say is that in that journey um, you know even w- you know when you, you and Andrew were going together it's that there almost wasn't enough therapy to be a part of and I think that we can't just exclusively you know pray the grief away or pray the depression away. Certainly we believe in a God that works miracles and we believe in a God that can turn around any situation. But at the same time, there's absolutely no shame in taking that step. And even beyond mental health, I think we all can agree that we can do a much better job being vulnerable. We can do a much better job leaning into spaces with people where it's not just surfacy and it's not just like, listen, none of us have it all together. And all of us in some way are struggling, um, even just looking at the statistics. We don't even have to do a response tonight because all of us are affected by this. All of us experience this and know people in our life. And so just being willing to say, um, you know what? I don't have it all together, but I'm willing to be authentic. I'm willing to be my real self. I'm willing to be vulnerable with some people around me that can keep me accountable, whether that be a small group, whether that be a friend circle, whether that be a therapist or a counselor or a pastor or whatever, I think we all need much more spaces in our life. And I think, I love what you said about thinking of Jesus's response to this. Um, Because I think the radical thing about the way that he lived his life is, think of the story of um, Lazarus at the tomb where Jesus stopped in the middle of pain and he wept. And he's there with us. And it's the thing I think surprises me is Jesus knew the end. He was God. He knew the end of the story of how Lazarus would be resurrected, but he stopped in that moment as if to teach us a lesson that even in our darkest moments, he's with us. He cares for us. He's close in our brokenness. He's close in our pain. And he feels that too. He embodied that and becomes that with us. Um, Just, I think, by way maybe of encouragement, if somebody is here and is feeling like they're struggling, whether it's just struggling to be vulnerable, or maybe would take another step and say, I'm I'm actually really struggling with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. Um, What encouragement could you give to us? I would just say, I'm so glad you're here. Um, This is such a safe space to bring those struggles, to bring your pain. I don't know how you guys structure it here, but I'm sure there's people you can come get prayer from. I'm sure there's leaders you can go talk to. So I would encourage you just to reach out if you haven't told anybody. Maybe you have a suicide plan. Maybe you've written a suicide note. Maybe you're struggling with thoughts of suicide. You're bombarded with thoughts of suicide every single day, and you haven't told anybody because you're afraid and it feels shameful. Um, I just want to encourage you to tell somebody, um, to be honest, um, to be brave, um, to show people you know that dark place of your heart, to be willing to open up your heart and um, not hold that to yourself and to not hold that 
scary, dark thing alone because there's other people in this room that want to hold it with you. And you are not alone. And God's got this. We have this phrase. Our family has this Mm -hmm. phrase, God's got this. Um, And it's such a powerful phrase. It's been a phrase that's held us through so much. My father-in-law, when he was diagnosed with leukemia in 2011, he pulled each of his kids into the hospital room and one by one told them, um, I have leukemia and there's a kind you want and a kind you don't want but God's got this. And it's been this phrase that has carried us through his leukemia journey, carried us through Andrew's mental health journey, and it's carried us even now um, through his death and our grief. And I want to say to you that whatever you're going through, Whatever you're carrying, whatever you brought into this room, whatever lies um, are in your mind that are filtering through your mind every day, like God's got you. God's got this. God's with you. He's for you. He believes in you. If you don't feel like anyone believes in you, if you don't feel like anyone's with you, if you don't feel like anyone's for you, like God's got you. Hmm. God's got this. God's for you. There is yeah, hope ahead. Yeah. There are beautiful days ahead. There's a beautiful life ahead. And I'm believing that hmm. for myself too, not just for you, for you and for me. There's a beautiful life ahead. There's hope ahead. And God's got this. And God's got you. And God's not done yet. Yeah, beautiful. And I think that, you know, your your story is one of so much hope. And it, it, it is one that I think I would just want to say thank you for sharing. Thank you for speaking up, continuing to tell the story, even though I know it never gets easier to share. Thank you for speaking up, for your wisdom, um, for your hope. Can we say thank you to Kayla for being with us tonight? Thank you so much for being here. Um, let's all stand to our feet, maybe here tonight by our response. And um, I know that tonight is, um, it's a heavy night. And uh, I know that we all um, are kind of feeling this, you know, this maybe something inside of us that goes, hey, on the inside of, of where I'm at, um, there is a heaviness about this. I, I may be struggling tonight or I may be, um, you know, I may be faced with something. I do want to share something um, before we, you know, kind of close and transition to worship as we pray here in just a moment. Um, but as the team comes... Um, I do want to share, back in the back of the room, um, we've got some mental health resources available. Some of our pastoral care team is here tonight. We would love to share with you. And maybe just as Kayla was talking about, maybe it takes you taking a friend up there or you going yourself and saying, hey, would you come with me? And walking up there to take the next step of resources. I also want to just put on the screen, um, there is uh, the suicide hotline number that you may just need to save in your phone. And uh, just kind of make mention of um, this tonight, because I think this is just such a powerful tool for us to have. Because when we're talking about a pandemic that is on the rise and and all of us being affected by this, this really isn't something to um, play games about. I think tonight, I think what Kayla had shared is so powerful. I'm so glad that you're here tonight. I'm so glad that you decided to come. And I don't think it's an accident that you're here. Faced with heaviness, I, I think that tonight, this moment where we begin to say, God brought me here, not by coincidence, not by accident, but maybe just to hear this tonight, that God loves you. We love you. You're surrounded here in a room tonight by people that love you, that care for you so deeply. Even more than us, God loves you so deeply. I want to tell you tonight as you, as you uh, leave here, to leave with this notion that it's not a sin to be sick. Moments in your mind where you feel like, hey, I am struggling. Can I tell you, you don't have to believe everything that you think. That there is a moment where you can just say, hey, I need God's help. 
and I need some people to come around me to be with me in this journey. Maybe that's you tonight, or maybe you're, you're somebody you, and that can just say, hey, I'm gonna be someone that shows up. I'm gonna be present for the people in my life. I'm gonna be more committed to vulnerability and leaning into that space to be with people. With every head bowed and with every eye closed tonight, I, wanna, I just wanna pray, but I wanna make mention, um, kinda as we've been coming around this series for your health, talking about what it looks like to be healthy. And one, I, one marker I think of health is simply just recognizing what we need. To be healthy means to have a, an awareness and an articulation of what we need. The thing that's, I know that's true for all of us here tonight is that we all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. We may need Jesus to step into our circumstance. We may need Jesus to give us hope, to give us grace, to give us strength to make it through the day. But a group this size, maybe you're here tonight and you would say that I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe I was invited to come tonight by a friend. Maybe I'm here tonight and I don't consider myself a follower of Jesus. I wanna give you the invitation tonight to meet him to have a relationship with him, to really have that moment where it's not just information tonight, but really to invite him into your heart to transform you. I think the true marker of whole body health starts in a relationship with Jesus. For there's hope to be found in Jesus. And the message I want us all to hear tonight is there is hope to be found in Jesus. With Kayla's story as an example, even in your darkest pains, There's hope to be found in Jesus. We all need Jesus to be healthy. We all need Jesus to be the kind of people that he's called us to be. If you're here tonight, you'd say, I don't consider myself to be a follower of Jesus, but you know what? Tonight is the night where I'd like to take that step, to be vulnerable on the inside of me, to say that there's something broken and I need God's help. Nobody looking around, would you just wave your hand at me so I know who it is that I'm praying for that would say, I wanna take that step to meet Jesus here tonight. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to know who I'm praying for, just to lift your hand in the air to say, tonight I want to meet Jesus. There's hands there going up all across this place. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your vulnerability. God, tonight we pray over everybody here in the room. Lord, for those that raise their hands, you don't just see their hands, but you see their hearts. And I think it's so beautiful that you're, you're with us even in our darkest moments. And so God, I wanna pray for people here tonight that took that step to say, I wanna meet Jesus, to have a relationship with you. God, here tonight as we pray, I pray for the Holy Spirit to invade every single heart, for the Holy Spirit to invade every single circumstance, to breathe life again, to breathe hope, to breathe grace and strength. God, that you would meet every single circumstance to know that there is hope, to know that you're with us and that you're carrying us. And even if it feels like we're hanging on by a thread, if you willed it, that thread will not break. God, I pray over everybody here tonight that may be feeling the weight of this moment, the weight of the, the, the feelings on the inside of them, to know that I've been struggling, that, that, that on the inside, that in my mind and in my heart, I've been battling lies of the enemy and depression and anxiety. God, invade that situation. I pray that we tonight, right here in this moment, we know that you're here, but more clearly, God, would you show us that you are with us you're with us 
here in our moment. Thank you, Lord. Tonight, as we transition into worship, I want to encourage us, all of our response here, in conversations like this and feelings like this, it can be easy to keep our eyes down. But the reason we want to end with worship, the reason I think this is so significant is through music and through song, we can turn our eyes to Jesus. We can allow our hearts and our minds to be set on things above. Maybe you're here tonight and these words feel aspirational. It feels difficult to even sing them, but I want to challenge you to lift your eyes to Jesus for there is hope to be found in Jesus. As we sing about the miracle working power of our God, to lift our eyes, to lift our minds, to lift our hearts towards heaven, to say, Jesus, I need you. Here in this moment of worship and surrender, can we just lift our hands all across this place tonight? Just say, God, we need you. And the beautiful thing is, as we begin to say that, God knows exactly the situation you're in. He knows exactly the need. We can say generically, God, I need you, but he knows exactly what we need. So God, we need you all across this place. Holy Spirit, come fill the room right now. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to invade every single situation. And as we sing right now, we ask, Lord, for for our eyes to be open in the way that you're working in our hearts, our eyes to be open to see the ways that you're moving in our life. I pray over every single person here tonight that we would leave with a sense of just how great you are, and we would leave with a sense of how present, how close you are to every single need. As the team leads us, would you just begin to lift your praise to Jesus? Just real simply say, God, I need you. I need you, Lord. Thank you, God.